You're listening to the Million Dollar Sellers Podcast with your host, Nick Shuquette. Today's show features another amazing entrepreneur who has found success online. Now, let's learn what it takes to be a million dollar seller. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to the Million Dollar Sellers Podcast. Today, we've got Craig Brocky on the call. Thanks for coming on, Craig. How how you doing today, hey, man? Doing awesome, Nick. Great to be here. Got all your crypto notifications turned off and all that stuff. <laughs> Indeed. I think we're going to be safe and sound for 30 minutes here. So Cool, cool. All right, man. Well, uh, where, where are you calling in uh, from today? Clearwater Beach, Florida. I live in an area called Island Estates. It's right before the beach. It's a boating community. So we've got a few jet skis off the backyard here and uh, a boat club membership. So we get to take out boats whenever we want. So it's pretty good. I like the lifestyle here. It's a lot hot, a lot hotter than it was in Newport Beach and especially Canada where I grew up. Okay, nice. And how long ago did you move down to Florida? That was at the end of 2018, and I was really glad to be here during the last year when things were getting crazy in California. It's yeah, definitely a lot more free, so. free over here. Yeah, yeah. They just changed some things here in Virginia Beach, and uh, for the better, um, mm-hmm. you know, in, in my opinion. So it's 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 been nice. Um, yeah. So yeah, man, that's nice down in Florida. So you got a boat, you get out on the water pretty often. Uh, probably once a week. I enjoy it a lot. Um, I got a, these sit down jet skis that are pretty fun, but we also have a stand up jet ski. And that's a lot of fun. I never grew up using stand up jet skis, but I used to do a lot of water skiing. So it kind of, it's kind of in between wakeboarding, water skiing and jet skiing. It's, you get to fall in a lot and take jumps and stuff. It's pretty fun. Nice, man. Yeah. I love getting out on the water, just like on anything I possibly can, you know, just, uh, For sure. just feel so good being out there, man. Um, yeah. so, so let's dig into your, uh, your, your journey in business a little bit, man. Um, mm-hmm. you know, w- when did you get started with entrepreneurship? You know, was Amazon your first thing or was it something else? Well, I did websites, started doing websites in 1996, actually way back when, when you actually had wow. to convince someone that they, they needed a website. So that was when I was 21 years old, started a business with a partner back then and got, had to learn how to sell. So I guess the first major skill that I had to learn was how to close deals and you know get people interested in their own business enough that you, they'd want to promote it with you and trust you enough to do it. And so that was up in Winnipeg, Manitoba, which is super cold, very conservative places, like a farming farming community basically i mean it's a city but it's really agriculturally based and then found them to be really conservative then i started going back into ontario where i grew up and uh pitching hunting and fishing lodges to get them tourists down for fishing and hunting and stuff so that's where i really cut my teeth and that's when i got into seo okay and uh basically 1997 or so is when i got into seo the main reason is because we had a client who happened to be a friend of the family. And he was just so frustrated. He wasn't getting business from his website and he'd cut out some other advertising spend to make room for his website. So I felt really bad that he wasn't getting any business. So I would even search for his website and it would come up as untitled document in the search engine. At that time it was probably Alta Vista or InfoSeek or Excite or one of those ones. It was way before Google and Yahoo was around then, but and then I realized, okay, wow, we need to actually put some keywords in here and 
put things in the right places to start ranking. And I started seeing some of the tricks the guys that were ranking at the top of the list were using, just like you and I do today on Amazon as we look and we see who's ranking at the top and what are they doing differently and how can we emulate some of those things and do them better. So that's, I found, found that SEO was a super important skill to, to learn back then. And then we kept on running that till about 2006 and then tried to, you know, get into another business online and that kind of failed. So I just kind of retired for a little bit, then ran out of some, ran out of money and uh, realized I needed to get back into business, started doing um, reputation management, online reputation management. And that was so-so, but a really tough gig. And then at the time, I met these people who were part of my church and they were, they had no past internet experience. This is 2015. And they were just killing it on Amazon and they'd never wow. run e-commerce or done anything online before. I was like, wow, if two, two green people can kill it on Amazon, I should learn something about that. So signed up with ASM and my wife actually studied the ASM course while I was running the reputation management business. And then over time, I just took that over. And today we've got a great team of executives here and doing over $10 million in sales and really have a, a good thing going on. Nice, man. That's, that's pretty cool. The, uh, the reputation management, is that kind of like, like authority building, like your, your presence on the internet positioning? Yourself? Yeah. Well, is that what that is? Typically what we would do in for prospecting is look for people that had some, like I look at doctors, lawyers, anything, anybody who's high net worth or businesses that had some sort of negative report or something showing up at the top of the list. And we also did some advertising too for people looking for reputation management, but the cost per lead on that, I think it was, it was close to $2,000 per lead wow. to get a reputation management client using Google AdSense or AdWords, sorry. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a really tough gig because trying to clean up the first page of Google results and get all the negative stuff out of there, you have to push a lot of positive PR, you know, you can do Forbes articles and all these kinds of things, but it's expensive, it takes a lot of time, and there's still no guarantee that you're going to be able to push all the negative stuff out of there. Nice, man. Yeah, that does sound uh, difficult to do. And that's still like something I'm, I'm navigating a lot is that, that SEO marketing uh, more yeah. traditional world versus Amazon. Um, have, you, have you been able to leverage that experience? Like, do you do PR stuff for your products? Well, very on a limited scale. We do so well on Amazon, within Amazon. We do some paid Google advertising with Quartile but it's not anything like a home run. We don't do organic SEO right now either. So that's something that I've talked to some of my old reputation management guys and they pitched me on it. And I'm, I see the benefits of doing that, but we just haven't really ventured out of that yet, like into that. Okay. Yeah. I was wondering, man, cause you know, like external traffic seems to be kind of like the hot topic in the, the Amazon space right now. And I know I'm right. kind of driving myself crazy thinking about all the different ways I can, I can make that happen. Um, I've seen some guys mm -hmm. seems like they have some good results with the, the PR stuff. Um, but yeah, I haven't For really sure. picked one to, to go with just kind of doing the yeah. more traditional stuff on Amazon. Right. And I mean, within the Amazon ecosystem, you can run a really good business. Obviously you're really dependent on that traffic and the pay-per-click 
costs have come up a lot in the last year, it seems. But, um, you know, it's still very profitable, obviously. What we've been doing with our business to expand it is obviously getting new products, but we like to build new variations of existing products. You know, if we have a winner, we have three three hero products really right now, and then a new one that's up and coming as a hero product. So, you know, once you have that bestseller badge and a, a high number of reviews, several thousand reviews or tens of thousands of reviews, I find it's really easy to come into there and add a new variation and take that variation, put a different title and different keywords on that and actually go after a whole different keyword universe on that new variation and launch it under that. And with all the, the power of the existing, you know, parents variation combination, it just, you know, you launch with a lot of power and a lot of strength. And then you have a whole nother way of feeding new visitors into your listing in you know, a keyword universe that you weren't necessarily doing very well in until you launched that new variation. So that's one of the things we do. Back in the good old SEO days, we were basically black hat SEO. We were <laughs> we were spam, spamming the hell out of the search engines. And actually, like Google traffic was coming, coming in hot and heavy. We're doing uh, over 200,000 unique visitors a day on average. And it'll go up to 300, 400 at times. But 200 was kind of like the, the low end. But we had thousands of websites and it was all about just spattering as many keywords as possible and just broadening that keyword universe as much as possible. And I find with Amazon, that's really successful also. It's just some people might be selling a bottle opener and then they're doing all the things to do with bartending and bottle openers and that kind of thing, but maybe not really looking at, you know, gifts for men who have everything or, you know, Father's Day gifts or whatever those keywords that could apply to that where they're not going to be kicking ass all year long, but you might get these seasonal spikes. And we do really, really well at Christmas because of our the giftability and focus on gifting with our keywords and our products. Nice. So when you're when when that time comes and, and you're ready to to focus on some other keywords, are you relying on PPC for the most part to do that? Or do you do any changes to the listing itself? Well, you know, Easter is really strong for us too. Christmas is really strong for our products because they're really kid-oriented products, sports and outdoors, get their kids off the cell phones outside having fun. So if anybody out there has uh, has young kids, you want to get them off your phone, our, our product line would be right up your alley. But anyway, we do change titles from time to time. Okay. I was really reluctant to do it in the old days because sometimes your title would get locked and then you wouldn't be able to change it again. So I would leave, for instance, the keyword Christmas in a variation title all year long previously, but now we'll sometimes rotate it into Easter or more summer-oriented keywords. We just make sure that we remember and we keep a log of which title and which keywords we've rotated out of. So when the, the new season comes back, we can rotate back into those keywords. Because the thing about variations, and you'll see this in Helium 10, when you look at your rankings, when you have a whole bunch of variations, only one variation shows up for any particular keyword. You know, if, if all of them were separated and not in a parent, you might get multiple listings showing up there. But when they're under a parent, you only get one that's ranking at the top. So we were very careful to make sure that, say, something's ranking really well for a gift-related keyword for 10-year-old boys or something like that, and we end up shifting the title. We make sure that we shift it back before Christmas to what it was so that you know, everything's lined up because it seems like Amazon's algorithm, it seems to us at least to have some sort of historical 
it's almost like an elephant that never forgets where it's okay. from. Or something. You know, it seems to memorize what used to do well, and they'll at least try you up in those areas again. And if you, I, I could be totally wrong. This could just be Craig's voodoo superstition. Yeah. <laughs> but it seems to us that, you know, if you've ranked really well for something in the past, you should make sure that you don't really abandon that. And if you do abandon it somewhat throughout the year, to make sure you come back to it again. Nice. Yeah. I think that's a great tip, man. I know some people lately have mentioned, you know, changing up titles based on, you know, seasonal keywords or maybe something caught your eye in a PPC campaign and you want to try popping that into your title and, and seeing how it works. But yeah, I like that you've like, we keep a flat file, like a backup, you know, kind of like a a restore point on a computer, but I like the idea of having those titles saved as well so you can kind of just plug them back in uh when you're ready Mm -hmm. to do that yeah and our sales have been down a little bit lately like we were up triple last year so it was just a blockbuster year for us and then right up until about where covid picked up last year we were up triple this year also and then once we got to that anniversary date of covid we've actually been down a little bit so it's first you know we do have some new product launches that are going to take up the slack and get us back into a growth phase again. But I wanted to, I always like to make sure that my same SKUs are up year over year and always growing. So one guy I've been really kind of intrigued about is uh, Stephen Pope, the my Amazon guy. Have you ever heard of him? I've, I recognize the name. Yep. <laughs> yeah. He does a ton of YouTube videos and they're actually a really affordable agency. So, um, and the guy, he used to be a chess teacher, like the game chess and really good at chess. And then he also used to be an SEO expert too. And now he's running an Amazon agency. So I just hired them yesterday to do a audit on my account and see if there's any SEO things that we're maybe missing or not doing well enough. Cause it seems like, you know, I might actually hire them as an agency and give them one of my ASINs, sorry, one of my hero products. It's not performing that well. And just see if they can do anything better with it because, um, you know, he's running over 160 accounts. We're running like two accounts. So there's a lot more data to pull from and seems like a really sharp guy. Nice. And yeah. I'll have, have to no, check that out. No, no, no financial incentive referred. Yeah. To. I, have, I haven't even hired him full time, so I'm not endorsing him either. So that kind of reminds me, like, um, I forgot to ask when you, when you started, uh, out on Amazon, you met those two guys, you said we're doing well. Um, was your first brand that you launched the one that you still have? Like what, what did that early stage look like? Yeah. The first product we launched was a sport towel, like a microfiber sport towel. And that was pretty lackluster and we ended up discontinuing it. It, Sold really well at Christmas as a stocking stuffer, but that was kind of it. And and then, so we kind of let that one go. And then our next product ended up being a home run. So we've just kept on expanding out more and more variations of that, hitting more and more keywords, getting more and more reviews, you know, maintaining that bestseller badge. And I guess before I forget, I want to mention too, I'm going to take a little segue segue here, but say you have a listing that has 10,000 reviews on it and a bestseller badge in the U.S., or even if it doesn't have a bestseller badge, say you have 10,000 or even a few thousand reviews and 4.5 or 4.3 rating. Right now, it's so easy to go into Canada, UK, Australia, Japan, all these markets and 
all the all the U.S. reviews are pretty much moving over into those markets. So, like about this time last year, we we took we saw that that change. A friend of ours tipped us off that hey, we used to have this ugly duckling in Canada that did no no business, and all of a sudden our U.S. reviews came over and were showing in Canada, and our sales just went through the roof. So we really did a lot of global expansion last year too. So we're now all over Europe with the pan-European program, which really helps because you get the prime shipping everywhere, uh, UK, Canada. We're also in Australia and Japan now, and they're not big markets for us, but my feeling is that if you can crack the code and get in there, while you have all those US reviews and establish yourself and get the rankings and get the momentum and get the reviews, even if they pull away those US reviews, you'll be the, the, the guy standing strong there. So I suggest if you haven't, gone into those countries, you do so right away because who knows how long that opportunity is going to last because it could be something that's temporary. Right. How much and of a... Totally for... No, no, I, totally I think it's the great that you that mentioned you that, ask. man. Um, yeah. hey, I'm, I'm wondering, like, uh, how much did you rely on, on Amazon to help you get your products over there, like logistics-wise? I know they'll kind of reach out to you and say, hey, you should launch on this marketplace and we'll help you do this. Yeah. Yeah, well, what we did do is we hired them. They helped pay for all our um, legal compliance in Europe to get Pan-European set up. So that was about 5,000 euros or something like that that they picked up the tab on. And that was kind of nice. I mean, we got hammered hard this year because we weren't ready for Brexit. And so when the inventory got separated, we weren't set up ahead of time for that. So that was an error on our part. But now that we're back up and running. Like our sales are just crazy in Germany and, and um, yeah, exceeding our expectations. Uh, in terms of logistics, though, like whoever is doing your logistics now and your, your compliance, you can just get those people to, you know, give them a target. Say, I want you to open up, you know, Pan-European next, or I want you to open up Canada next. Canada is super easy to do, and most guys, I think, are doing Canada these days, but. Yeah, we were doing the, we got on the the North American remote fulfillment program a while ago and, and that worked out well, but now it seems customers have gotten savvy to the, uh, they don't want to pay the extra customs and taxes and stuff. Yeah. So now you've got a lot right. of sellers just setting up shop, you know, in Canada with some inventory and sending it into FBA there. And we're actually yeah. in the middle of doing that now ourselves. Yeah. We used to do NARF also. and. I think it's safe to say that whatever you're doing now, if you actually get your inventory in there with two-day shipping and no customs and all that BS, you're probably going to 5X at least your sales on what you're currently doing in Canada. We tried to get into Mexico also, but it seems to be a lot more red tape involved with actually getting your product into Mexico and actually having it distributed from Mexico. So we haven't quite got there yet, but I've been really, really happy with Canada, UK, Europe. And even Japan is picking up now. It's crazy. Yeah, I've been thinking about Mexico, man. I, I visit there often, but man, like I, I see the way people drive down there. Like, I don't know how much I trust my, my stuff on a truck, you know, a big Amazon yeah, Prime yeah. truck on their roads down there. Um, lo love visiting right. there. But yeah, I've been thinking about that uh, lately as well. Like how it's just a, it's just different down there, you know, man, it, it's right. just different. <laughs> You get a good For amount sure. of sales through the uh, the NARF program still down there, though? 
I don't think we'd get much at all, honestly. Yeah. In fact, one of the problems I had with NARF is it didn't seem to include all our ASINs. So it seemed to be very selective in which things it would include and which it wouldn't. And maybe that's why our statistics increased so much when we actually got our inventory there and got everything active. I can't, maybe some guys really do well with NARF, but if you're doing well with NARF, if you can think of having two-day fulfillment on everything yeah. all across the country, you know it's just going to get better. Yeah, those global marketplaces really seem like a no-brainer right now, man. It's like, it, mm -hmm. it's the dot-com market so getting so competitive in a lot of spaces. Um, I hear a lot of people talking, you know, they're like just looking at the UK marketplace and they're looking at these other opportunities and and taking off with those. It's crazy how much opportunity there is uh, mm -hmm. when it comes to Amazon, man. I'm starting to really think that there's not enough people selling stuff for the amount of people that want to buy stuff. I mean, it's, right. it's just crazy how much people shop and, you know, people love spending money and the internet has just made it so easy. And Amazon makes it, you know, just, just effortless. It seems like, like even with things right. like clothing and fashion and stuff where, you know, people used to, they want to go in the store and they want to try that stuff on and see how it feels. Well, you know, we know that on Amazon, you can, order something, try it on, mess it up a little bit, rip the tags off, send it back and get a refund. <laughs> yeah, so they've, they've made it true. easy. <laughs> That's actually one of the problems we have with our product. And we get, because it's a gift item, I, in my opinion, it's because it's a gift item, we do get some returns, obviously. And one of the problems we have is that Amazon will, you know, people don't want to pay for return shipping. So they'll say it's defective. So yeah. that's a big pain point for us, even though we have proof that it has not been opened or hasn't been even tried. Like they haven't even put the batteries in the product to try it. They'll market as defective. So we put in a whole, what's called reverse logistics. It's basically inspecting your returns. Yeah. The other thing is when we, when we allowed Amazon to dispose of our product, they don't destroy your product. They dispose of it. And by disposing it, they sell it to a liquidator in most cases. And what people do is they buy up your product for pennies on the dollar. And then they're selling shit on your listing. And for us, paying the extra 50 cents or whatever it is, or I don't know the extra cost for them to ship it to you. I think we pay maybe a buck a unit or something to have it inspected. And then we keep a whole statistic of, well, you said that this ASIN had 10 defects this month. But actually, five of them were unopened, and two of them have been opened, but the batteries weren't opened, indicating that it hadn't been even tried. Therefore, we, we open up cases. So I don't know if anyone's getting hit with those NCX uh, alerts yeah. where it says negative, negative customer experience. Well, we like to be proactive about that and really know what's true about the defect rate. Plus, obviously, if there is a product problem, you want to take it up with your supplier and, and really hammer that out so it's not an ongoing issue. But um, I think that's super important, especially to keep hijackers or resellers off your listings selling shit to your customers. Because if it is a defective product and someone did get it in a, from a liquidator and they throw it up on your listing as used, you know, you're going to get an unhappy customer. And I don't think that's worth the risk. Yeah, man. I think you touched on two things that are pretty critical there for people like the the having Amazon dispose of your inventory. And they have, I think they have some other program 
too. Um, but I noticed like, you know, I started out reselling, so I was very, mm -hmm. uh, dialed into like the buy box and how it rotates and sharing yeah. it with other sellers. And, and when I started doing private label, uh, on one of our accounts, like I saw my buy box percentage going down and I'm like, how, what the hell, why is my buy box percentage going down? I'm, I created this product. Like it's, it's mine. I don't sell to anyone else. And it was freaking Amazon selling like <laughs> warehouse damaged products yeah, on yeah. my listing for like $30 cheaper. Um, mm -hmm. and just completely messing us up, man. Like that, that was really frustrating to see mm -hmm. and figure out because Amazon positions it as, Hey, we're going to help you out with this new program. And, uh, it, it doesn't, it just doesn't help you out. Right. <laughs> Um, and the other thing that, uh, that you touched on was the negative customer experience thing. And I think that's something mm -hmm. a lot of people don't really know where to find that it's in that voice of the dashboard or voice of the customer mm -hmm. section, um, in your account yeah. performance section. And yeah, we're also very proactive on that as well. Uh, but what frustrates me about that is you can't find out who left the feedback. Um, have you guys found out a way to kind of like, cause in my, what we've done is like, um, we had one product we were selling, uh, it said like large container on the title and we had variations. So some of those variations would not be considered large. They would be considered like mm -hmm. a small. And, okay. uh, we, we got an NCX for that. Cause you know, Amazon customers, they see large and even though they could pick the variation, mm. there's still some mix up there. So we just took large out of the title. Um, but we didn't really have like a course of action to reach out to a customer and say, Hey, sorry, you know, we want to send you a replacement or something like that. Yeah. You know, my finger's not really that close to be on the pulse on that line, but I mean, if, if what you're saying is the case that I don't, I can't just thinking out loud. I don't know how you would actually identify the customer identity, but there's probably some MDS hacker on here that's yeah. way, way smarter than me that can just say, Oh, you just do bloody blah, blah, or you. Yeah. I just, it's, it's, it's weird how Amazon, you know, they expect us to take action on certain things, but it's like, well, you know, you're not telling us who the, who the customer is that left this feedback. So we can't really, you know, we're limited in, in what we can do because I'm, I'm with you, man. Like you, you gotta be proactive about those things. And when you dot, when you represent yourself to Amazon, it's like, it's like going to a court, man. And you know, like Amazon's the judge, the jury, the executioner, the attorney, and you've got to really have everything documented, um, to prove to them that you tried to do everything you can. And, right. and we've found that NCX thing. Like when you do a plan of action or something like that, right. they want to know that you looked at that NCX. Exactly. So we keep a spreadsheet of all the cases that we open reporting the false defects that aren't defective so that when we get an NCX, we just say, okay, well, here, here's all the cases. Here's all, we tally up all the results for them. We say, boom, you know, 50% of the stuff that's reported as defective is not defective. Therefore, please, you know, reinstate this product. And whether that helps or not, I don't know. But if we ever get to the point where they're actually wanting to take us out and completely eliminate the ASIN, I think, you know, that will help in terms of showing that we're really on top of it and that their statistics aren't necessarily accurate. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that yeah. that one to be helpful. And someone else on the account health team pointed out the customer concessions uh, report to me as well. Um, and you can find some stuff in there. But yeah, man, they make it they make it difficult to find the stuff they want you to uh, when you're when you're writing those appeals and trying to get a listing back up or an account reinstated. Uh, right. They don't they don't always make it easy for us. Yeah. Uh I did want to mention a couple of things before we uh, move on like this, like before we end the call at least, but um, I did sign a deal recently to sell my company. So that's pretty exciting. And then uh, right before I signed the deal, I got hit with two patent infringement issues, like Uh allegations. And so that's been kind of interesting. So if anybody's having to deal with patent infringement, I've got a lot of experience on that now and how to, how to deal with that. And Obviously, if you just go to a lawyer and your lawyers, they benefit from having controversy and fighting because the longer they can stretch something out in a lot of cases, unless they're working on contingency, you know, they like to have conflict. So one of my suggestions is if you ever get hit with the patent infringement is try and find out who the owner is and contact them and get in communication with them directly. And I did that with this one guy, and it turns out we were 100% infringing on his patent. I had no idea that this patent even existed. I did hire a lawyer before launching the product, and he didn't find the patent. So, wow. I mean, that sucked. But turns out the guy was super cool. He wanted to shut me down. He wasn't looking for a licensing agreement. He just wanted to get me out of there because I'm a direct competitor. And I said, look, man, we're selling the same product, but give me a chance here. Let's have a conversation. And maybe there's room for a Coke and a Pepsi. That's how I, I put it. I'm, help, I'm happy to help you boom your sales. I can see a lot of things with your listing. You're not con- fully optimized. And we ended up having a conversation. And on our first, very, very first Skype video call, before the end of the conversation, I'd added so much value to his business that he actually, he thanked me. Sorry, but landscapers here. He thanked me. If that's too loud, we can pause and come back. Yeah, I think, I think we're good. Okay, good. Anyway, while we're on that first Skype call, video call, he actually thanked me for infringing on his patent. And wow. he basically offered me the rest of the year to sell his product, uh, to sell our product that infringes on his patent, no questions asked. And I also introduced him to the same buyer that's buying my company, and that buyer wants to buy him too. So basically the patent issue is going to go away because the same company is going to own, own the, uh, the patents and both products. And then on top of that, which was kind of cool, is we just helped him with some PPC. We helped him with some keyword stuff. His whole search term field was blank. He, he had A-plus wow. content, but the, descript- the description was completely blank. There's another tip, guys. If you have A-plus content and you haven't gone back and taken the old description field and s- splashed a whole shit ton of keywords in there, you're missing out. So what we did is we took basically our keyword list, threw it in his description, gave him some really good titles, helped him with his images infographics put put a better video in where like in his image stack and he he contacted me this past weekend he said oh my god my sales have gone up 5x <laughs> now i'm going to rerun now i'm going to be running out of product and you like i need your help with logistics now <laughs> so i put him on the phone with my logistics guy i said okay here you got all this shit coming in when you're going to airship some we're going to fast boat some other but bottom line is that if i had just hired a lawyer and and my lawyer said, he's not infringing on your patent or he is infringing on your patent and just trying to create some controversy. I'd be out a whole bunch of money and probably be on my way to being shut down right now. 
But if you, you actually communicate with the guy, and I met a guy really early on in my business career and he used to carry a business card with him, his own business card, but on the back of it, it said, business is people. And I'll never forget that. I'll always remember that. He said, like, we, as Amazon sellers, sometimes it seems really impersonal because we're dealing through a platform and we don't see that person on the other side. But you, you got to always remember you're dealing with a human on the other side. They've got problems. They've got you know, things they love in their life, things they're not so happy about in their life. And you know, if you can actually communicate with that person on the other side of the phone and find out really what they need and want and fill that need, this guy turns out when he found out he could sell his company for a, like a, a minimum 5x multiple, he was just super stoked. And then all of a sudden, I'm his best friend. And now I've boomed his sales. And like, he's, he'll be telling this story for the rest of his life, I'm sure, how he came after some guy for patent infringement and I ended up selling his company and 5xing his sales. Yeah, man, that that's that's amazing. And it's uh, it, it's amazing what can happen when you just pick up the phone and like just talk right. to someone. And I love that you mentioned that business card that says business is people on the back on the back of it and how that's just yeah. stuck with you. And, and now you've got this great story to tell and you've impacted someone's life in such a positive way. And it helped you out as well. Like, it's just a beautiful thing when you see stuff play out that way where everyone, you know, walks away a winner. Um, yeah, it's fun. And how many people just wouldn't have picked up the phone? You know, so many, so many of us just won't pick up the phone. We won't make that call. Right. Or they'll contact a lawyer and the lawyer reaches the other lawyer and it's just, you know, they, once you got the lawyer on the line, they have to talk to each other. I think like, for you to talk to the guy after the lawyer is involved, it's, it's trickier anyway. Yeah. It's always good to jump, get in communication with them first and find out what they need and want. And it might not be as bad as you think. Now, I also got hit with another patent infringement issue. I don't know if you have time. Do we have time to talk? Or yeah. What time is it here? Okay, good. Another guy is actually, he's what's called a patent troll. I don't know. Have you ever heard the term patent troll? Yep. It's basically someone who has a frivolous like it's a patent. They have a patent, but it's really frivolous. Their allegations that you're infringing on it, but they're basically just trying to threaten you saying that if you don't give us some money, we're going to litigate and you're going to end up wasting so much money litigating that you might as well just give us some money <laughs> basically. So, I mean, fortunately this guy also runs a business and he's not just like a hundred percent patent troll. He does add some value in life and in business, but I was able to, use this story that I had with his first seller, who, my Amazon seller, who I was infringing on his patent and I just handled the hell of the situation, really added a lot of value. And I said, look, man, um, I'm not gonna pay you the money because I'm not infringing on your patent. I've had many opinions saying that I'm not infringing on your patent. So like, that's not gonna happen. But I mean, talk to this guy who I've helped and he's gonna, he'll tell you that I'm a good guy. and you know." If, if there's a win-win here, instead of us suing each other and stuff, maybe there's a way that I can help you out as well. But, you know, this guy has a way less leverage with me in terms of being able to shut me down, but he could also cost me hundreds of thousands, if not over a million dollars of litigation fees if, if push came to shove. Anyway, this guy seems like a bit of a douchebag, so I'm not sure if I'm going to help him so much. But <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. So is that for like, it, it was a, a different product, I'm assuming, than yeah. the other product? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then someone, the previous owner of the patent actually alleged we were infringing on their patent way back in 2018. 
And at the time, we arguably were infringing on the patent, so we completely redesigned the product. And now there, another guy bought the company, and he sees how well we're doing because we have a best-selling product. We probably have sold $10 million worth of this one product to date. And he's thinking, wow, if I could just get a percentage of all those sales yeah. to date. And he's looking at he's looking at helium 10 projections, which are way higher than my real sales. So he's thinking, like, man, if I could just get a sliver of those sales, I'd you know get a few hundred grand at least. Yeah. And then they argue something called the doctrine of equivalence. If you're not actually literally infringing on the claims of the patent, one thing they can do is they can claim, well, you know, you're not using this the exact same things but you're using equivalent things to that so therefore we think that you're still infringing so that's what these guys are doing with me okay and my lawyer's not having it and i'm not having it yeah well i love the way that you're approaching these situations man just like you know not really reacting in a in a bad way just kind of keeping an open right. mind and trying to turn in a different direction uh, right. that's great. Yeah. The worst thing you can do in those types of situations, in my opinion, is creating antagonism, you know, and making the guy think he's stupid or an ass or insulting them or some way, or, you know, disregarding something that they're saying. So I do my best to listen to what people have to say, acknowledge them. So they at least feel like, you know, I've looked at their point of view and try not to disagree, but I guess that's the other point in any kind of disagreement is try something, try to find something that person has said that you can agree with. You might not agree with 100% of what they said, but if there's 10% of what they said, I agree with that. Yeah, you know? that's what that's what selling's all about: is finding points of agreement and increasing that amount of agreement until they agree with what you're you you have to say. Yeah, yeah, I like it, man. Definitely some uh, art of negotiation there. It sounds like a little bit. <laughs> right. Yeah, and just trying to get along with people and and genuinely help people. And that's the last thing I wanted to mentioned to the NBS members. I think this group is fantastic. I get so much value out of it. Uh, I made at least an extra $2 million in sales last year, thanks to two guys, Michael Patron, I don't know if I pronounced his last name properly, and Keith Mander. I've done shout outs to those guys already online, but never you know in a video. But if I hadn't had those logistics hacks last year in you know November and December, we would have stocked out, wouldn't missed out all kinds of sales. So yeah. appreciate those guys. And there's just that kind of value there all the time. And one thing I really like doing is helping other people with their problems. So I find it's way easier to solve other people, help other people solve their problems than it is to solve my own problems because I'm you know so mired in them. Maybe you found this also, like someone tells you a problem, it's, the solution just seems so so simple to you maybe, but because they're so mired in the problem, they maybe they don't see the solution. So I love talking to guys. And so if anything comes of this, this interview and this podcast where guys feel comfortable reaching out to me and we can do a quick conversation and they just say, Hey man, I'm struggling with this right now. And whether I can help you or not, it'd be interesting to have the conversation. I'd, I'd love to see if I can help guys and, and ladies in the MDS group. Yeah, man, the power of the networking in the group, uh, continues to blow my mind on a regular basis. And like, every time right. I come back from an event, I'm just so like focused and motivated and, you know, just so excited for like the next event. And it's almost like, I don't want to let people down at the next event. It's like, I want to come to the yeah. next event with like some great thing that happened or some great you know thing I figured out. And like, it just keeps me going, man, uh, year round. Um, and right. you know, big shout out to a lot of the you know, like Anita and Irie uh, for this past year, 
through COVID, mm-hmm. like keeping the virtual events going while we couldn't meet in person and, and really just fostering that environment where we continue uh, to be open yeah. and honest with each other, man. Cause it's, I think you're, you're spot on, like sol- solving your own problems. You're like, you kind of get blinders, you get tunnel vision and you, and you miss stuff. And it can be so upsetting. Deep. It can be upsetting at times too. Like you're, you, you know, there's emotion that gets tied into it. Whereas yeah. when, you're, when you're detached from it, you can see it without that emotional, like upset, you know? Well, man, you know, you're definitely a valuable member of the community yourself. Um, I, I look forward to hanging out with you again in person. I think we, well, we hung out in Utah, right? Yeah, man, that was amazing. I want to do one shout out to Ian too. Ian Sells, he gave a tip on PPC there that I think, not think, I know was quite a contributing factor as tripling our sales last year. Obviously COVID helped, but I don't think everyone's sales tripled because of COVID last year. So the PPC definitely helped like the tips that he was giving just about PPC. Nice. Yeah. But yeah. Man. We met in Utah. We hung out. It was great. I wish I could have made it to Puerto Vallarta, but it just didn't work out, but I'll definitely make the next one for sure. Yeah, man. Well, I'll definitely be there, man. Looking forward to uh, hanging out with you again. Um, before we let you go, man, why don't you give the audience one piece of advice? Like if you had to go back and start over, you know, what, what's something you would do differently? Uh, in, in Amazon specifically, I would say expanding variations quicker. And really, we had a best-selling product that was just one color variation, and it just killed it. We had the best-seller badge, and we were doing super well. But now we have eight, and we'll soon have 11 versions, color versions of that product. So now we're just the total number one in that space. We have the most number of reviews. And no one can really touch us right now. And each variation is going after its own set of keywords. So all together, they just feed so much traffic into that listing. It's like, for instance, we have a pink and pink version and we focus more on female keywords to do that one. We have a blue version and not to sound stereotypical, but we focus more on male terms to do with that one and boys and stuff. And then, but they're all driving traffic into this one listing. And if we had picked that up sooner, and done that, I mean, our sales would have been huge even years ago. Man, yeah, yeah, great tip. Uh, appreciate you handing that one out, man. Um, Craig, thanks so much for coming on, man. It's been great chatting with you. Uh, really looking forward to seeing you again soon, man. And uh, just thanks again, man. Thanks for coming on. All right, take care. Thank you. Are you a million dollar seller looking to network with like minded entrepreneurs? Apply for membership now at milliondollarsellers.com. Leave us a review and subscribe now so you don't miss out on next week's episode.